Okay, we kind of made a quick trip to Seattle. A uh, friend is in the hospital, and uh, we, um, <laughs> it was one of those things where it's like, uh, if, if we were to tell everybody that we were going to Seattle, we would have been here for a week and a half seeing all the things and all the people. <laughs> yes. So, um, yes. But instead what we did is we decided to do a quickie stealth trip. Right. Which is not so stealthy since I'm saying it into a podcast. Right. But um, we're going to go see our friend in the hospital, which is supposed to be... Oh, here comes a plane. Yeah. Uh, we are in Seattle, not too far from SeaTac Airport, actually. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, the Beacon Hill area. We're at the Beacon Food Forest. This, yes. It got uh, national and international attention a couple of years ago um, when they kind of started getting the funding in. Now... Um, I guess the thing is, is that, so this morning we're going to look at this, we're going to go to a couple, and then we're going to see our friend in the hospital, and then we're going to boogie back to Montana, but boy, the contrast between being in Montana and being here is, uh, it's, it's powerful. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, yeah, it, and it's Seattle. We're staying in uh, an Airbnb, a funky little barn in someone's urban homestead. And, you know, the first thing we noticed was, well, it's a little musty in this barn, even though they put in a new room and a brand new bathroom with a stone shower. It's a little musty. And you said, <laughs> it's Seattle. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everything's musty. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, and it's something, it's the musty that I'm glad to have gotten away from. Right. Um, uh, it, but it's just, it's just into everything. And then, of course, uh, trees grow really well here. Um, and, and the problem with being a gardener here is, is getting access to the sun due to trees and buildings everywhere. And cloud cover. Uh, there's upwards of 300 days of year, a year when it's cloudy here. So, so there's not many heat units or sun units for growing things in the right. Seattle area. A lot of people, they, when they, the, the growing season will be a, a relatively long. Mm-hmm. But uh, what will happen is is that uh, they won't be able to get red tomatoes. Um, right. Now, uh, I, I successfully raised red tomatoes, but I'm a weirdo. Um, so uh, that was it, – it was an odd thing. And then a lot of – of course, the techniques that I used, a lot of people thought they were nuts and crazy and stuff. But that's another story for another day. Right. So we're sitting at the Beacon Food Forest right now. So a big truck just went by. And besides the airplane and the truck, there's a very busy road that cuts right through. It's the main drag of Beacon Hill. No, this is, I wouldn't say this this is 15th. Oh, right. Um, There's two main drags for this neighborhood. One is Martin Luther King Jr. Drive. Okay. And another one is Beacon Ave. And um, when I was in the... not a main drive, but still a very busy urban road it's seattle there's a lot of them yeah (laughs) just be grateful it's not an actual freeway (laughs) you know um, true complete with uh you know uh traffic gyms look there's a space needle see it over there oh yeah and there's downtown seattle Mm -hmm. there goes another jet plane landing yeah we're Uh, we're sitting kind of up in their community gathering spot it's it's not quite a gazebo but it's gazebo-esque it's got some beautiful structures up here i like this general design by the way um Uh uh, for a gathering place where people can sit down and they have a little roof over their head and they can still sit in a big circle you could have a big fire in the middle although it looks like they've 
they would never do anything like that. This but is. They have firewood under that bench right there, so maybe I kind of wonder if under that big stump <laughs> they've hidden a little fire. Supply. They've got a little sneaky thing know. that they do. I don't know. That would be awesome if they did that. Yeah. So um, uh, before we talk about this site, I I'm reminded of a site that I visited uh, last year, and Jack Spearco was there, and this was in Helena, Montana. And it was just a bare chunk of ground. And Dave Jackie was leading a workshop to design the site. And um, it seemed like... And Jack was grooving on it. When I arrived, Jack was seriously grooving on the workshop. Like, Dave Jackie is a fucking genius. And and he was just drinking it in. And, like, um, it's amazing what Dave Jackie is doing to make us think about these things. And, you know, in, and he kind of expressed, like, if you sit down and you try to think it through... You're going to be all wrong. And then so Dave Jackie is forcing us to think about things that we didn't want to think about. Mm-hmm. And then he did a variety of techniques. So I, I showed up. Uh, I wanted to just come, see Dave teach for a couple of hours, meet Dave, and then uh, maybe possibly record a podcast and then go home. Mm-hmm. But um, I was told by Dave's handlers that I had to show up on this day at this time and be there this certain amount of time before I'd be allowed to go back. And it's like, really? <laughs> so so I was like, okay, well, I want to meet Dave. And I've never met Dave, so this is probably as closest as I'm ever going to get. So, all right, so I did it. I showed up, and it was the, um, it was a Friday. And I think that for several, by the time I arrived for several days, they'd already been scratching out designs in a variety of different techniques. And, um... The group had bonded really well. Everybody seemed very pleased with learning how to design in permaculture. And one of the techniques that they did is that they they took took designs and then they would take away your design and give you somebody else's design. And then your job was like to make somebody else's design be the best that it can be with their ideas. Something like that. I didn't fully understand it. But... Um, uh, um, Jack was just super excited. Um, then they had a presentation on Friday night, so I was there Friday afternoon. And I, and I, between the time that I first arrived and the presentations, I went to the site and I looked at it and I came up with my own ideas of what I would want to do based on my observations there. Mm-hmm. And of course, as as is good and right and decent, my designs were radically different from everybody else's designs and of course everybody's designs were radically different from everybody else's designs mm-hmm. um so and and they did do some things where there's like okay let's try and design independently and let's try to design collectively and of course each of those techniques would would generate different designs and um so that night they had a big presentation and they showed off like uh five different designs uh to the stakeholders which is like 50 people and um, and then the the fifty people got to give their feedback on it, and uh, the uh, you know this is it's this stuff you could probably predict exactly what was said, you know. Um, oh, we really love this, and somebody is saying, well, I want to see more of my thing, and somebody else is like, oh, I want to see more of my thing, and and there was like a desire to have like community gardens, and there was a desire to have you know more play space for children, but I mean like the amount of space that they're working with was like I think an 
acre and a half, maybe two acres. Which isn't I, much. I think, yeah. if I remember correctly, it was like 1.68 mm-hmm. acres or something like that. Right. Um, and it was just a flat piece of shit. <laughs> it was oh. like, uh, um, you know, big power lines running through it. And it's like, you know, clearly an unwanted space. Anyway, um, when I saw the designs, then, of course, I, I, I wanted to just shut up and say nothing and just observe and um and that but then people kept looking at me and encouraging me to say something and and uh, so finally i i did i said okay why is there no earthworks in any of these designs they're all just assuming that everything's going to remain flat right and um because the first thing i thought was is it's like when i was there there was uh so much noise and so much um uh blight from nearby and a, and a train and stuff and I'm thinking like I want to make a little slice of heaven here I want to make a I, I, you know this is what was in my head I want to I want to make something that's a bit of a paradise um, uh, sanctuary um, right and uh, and then plus you know oh think of the children the children need a place and so I got this idea of like having a fair number of perimeter berms mm-hmm. while being respectful of the gentle slope of the land and then having a place so that cold air could drain out and I kind of thought, if you built berms 15 feet tall, you could make paths crisscrossing up and down the berms. And you could even make tunnels through the berms for the kids. Oh, kids would love that. Which, of course, at night, teenagers would have sex there. <laughs> 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 but but let's just think about during the day. The children. Think of the children. <laughs> and the children of those teenage children. <laughs> oh, no. But... Um, uh, I, I thought it'd be cool for them to have little places of forts, like you could yeah. make little caves, yeah. as well as little tunnels for the berms, and then, you know, the, the berms would, would block out, um, the, the noise and the blight, um, plus you would add texture to the landscape so that you could, um, have things warmer and colder. And yeah. I was kind of thinking, like, in the middle, there could be a big centerpiece and grow a lemon tree, um, you know, and, and, uh, so these were my visions, but, um, Radically different from everybody else. Everybody else stuck with the flat, the so, flat area. So over time, I tried to make suggestions, and it seems like some people liked my suggestions, you know. But it kind of always seemed a little bit like uh, people that were, um, uh, like, uh, like you know, just just nod to the crazy person, and and uh, yes, that's lovely. Would you like some pie now? <laughs> you know, something like that. Like, like, Maybe. can we distract this guy from talking about his fucking berms? And, um, uh, so, you know, anyway, so, and I kind of, and Jack, that was when Jack came over to our place in Montana and we'd only been there like a couple of weeks. Yeah. And, and you guys discussed and discussed things. I wanted you to make a podcast about that, but neither one of you wanted to. No, I wanted to make a podcast, but Jack kept putting it off and putting it off and putting yeah. it off. And finally, I, when I, the last time I talked to Jack about it, he's like, you know what? I don't want to make a podcast bashing Dave Jackie. Yeah. And I mean, it's not bashing Dave Jackie. It's about talking about, different artistic visions dave jackie's vision is one vision yeah all right so then speaking of berms um we're sitting where there's a bench but we walked down so this site is only in phase one of development and we walked down the site to where there is more of a berm 
and quite the blackberry hedge. <laughs> They're the Himalayan blackberries that have naturalized in this area. So we walked down kind of, it's a little bit Berm-esque and blackberry hedge a little bit. And, and there was, bit. Yeah. there was less road noise behind that area of the site than there is here where there's... Like you could hear a car, you could stand in the spot and you could have direct line of sight with the vehicle. And then it kind of goes behind the hedge and you can kind of still see the roof of the vehicle but boy the sound just really drops yeah yeah and that's driving home the point because that would be the, one of the things that i would on this particular site now i want to say that they've been here just a little longer than than we've been in montana and the, on the montana property mm-hmm. and um and clearly you know what we where we've been focusing on is um infrastructure and um uh right things of that nature but but these guys have been focusing on planting stuff so they got here september of 2012 that's when they did what they called their ground making instead of groundbreaking um they they started working on the whole plan and the site and things like that in 2009 or something like that but september 2012 they did their ground making and they planted some trees and they've had probably monthly work parties uh, and then they every week there's there's something going on like a weekly thing which as well so they've had loads of volunteers so lots of yeah hours in this spot and and and, and at first blush you kind of look at this and think because i i've heard that there's that they've spent about that it's been hundreds of thousands of dollars like over two hundred thousand dollars and my first thought was is like what the fuck did they spend it on um but then you start to realize a couple of things. A, there are spigots all over the place here. Yeah. So um, somebody, if you're going to do a, 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 an organic garden or some sort of conventional garden, then, um, of course, you're going to want to have irrigation so that it's like, well, you don't have to go very far. <laughs> There's, They're all over the place. Yeah. Short hoses will work great. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. No no need for those big, long hoses. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... And then I know that, like, if you're going to work on city ground, um, I've heard, and, and I believe I heard it from you, but I think I've heard it from other sources, too. It's like, if you're going to have somebody come and do some sort of work for which they are being paid, then I think the lowest you can pay them is something like $50 an hour. The city of Seattle, um, if you are, well, if the city is paying for the work, and um, right, it, it needs to be... Um, a certain wage level, uh, yeah. It's yeah. it's it's pretty onerous in some ways. So I, yeah. It goes through like all kinds of, and the, and of course this is a nonprofit which is managed by another nonprofit which is managed by a department of this which is managed by the department of something else, and it's all part of the city of Seattle, which is, you know, yada 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 yada. So so the thing is, is that I'm thinking like, okay, I get it now. They've this is for two hundred thousand dollars. They are they are living on a tight budget. Once you start to once you start to calculate in that sort of thing, right? Well, and these structures are beautiful and well done, um, and it's nice. There's no they're unfinished, um, and they're doing lots of rainwater capture. Um, there's there's lots of um, public space as well as pea patch space. So that's a big thing. They're, they're very clearly signed things. Kind of the, the food forest layout is meandering paths and the public 
plants that are public food forest plants. And then they've got pea patch spaces that are in straight rows and rectangular. And it's very clearly signed, you know, please, someone is paying for this. Do not harvest these plants because these are pea patch plants. You do know that Seattle is like the only place that calls it a pea patch. Ah, okay. Yeah, you keep telling else, me that. Yeah. Everywhere else, it's a community garden. Right, right. So then, so then basically, it's like uh, you get this little teeny tiny patch, and it looks like it might be about eight by eight. So they vary in size, but okay. yeah, a lot and, of them are that, yeah. And then um, uh, you pay a certain amount of money, um, and then you're allowed to have this eight by eight patch of soil. Um, and it's like, and then you can do whatever you want, which... In a lot of ways is really cool because then, you know, people go to great lengths to do what their artistic vision is for that little teeny tiny bit. Yeah. Um, and so I like the idea that they've got places where there's a collaborative vision that can be implemented. And then there's places where there's an independent vision. I mean, I, I think, I think independent vision is more important, but, but I, th- I think it's nice that they do have places where there's collaborative vision. I, and then of course, if you're going to be part of a nonprofit, which is part of a nonprofit, which is part of a city government, then it, it kind of seems like, um, you're, you're going to have a really hard time escaping from collaborative vision. <laughs> right. Well, the city of Seattle has been on the forefront of allowing, um, urban gardens. Um, they, they made rules quite a few years ago allowing the, the parking strips or the, 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 the green space between the sidewalk and the street, allowing that to be urban gardens and allowing people to have front yards in the city that are gardens. And they have an extensive, extensive, um, community garden or pea patch program under the, um, the Department of Neighborhoods and, and they have grants, grant money allocated for that. And that's part of what funded the Beacon Food Forest is, is the grant money that's specifically for community gardens. Um, the Beacon Food Forest website said that in order to get your little patch, private little eight by eight foot patch, or whatever here, you either pay a fee or you can put in volunteer hours or a combination thereof, um, which is, which is kind of unique. That's, uh, because there's so much common area here, much more so than in a typical community garden, which usually is just little allotments that are not community space. But this has much more community space than the private allotment space. So before I forget, I want to backtrack a little bit to the Helena thing. And I want to focus on uh, the argument that Jack and I have every time we bring up the Helena project now. And and the argument basically goes like this. Um, Jack is Jack says that I could never work collaboratively or, you know, work with or design for um, any uh, uh, government entity or nonprofit entity. He and says that about you specifically. He says that about me specifically, that I do not, I cannot understand, I do not fathom, I, you know, I am ignorant. And, um, and, and so naturally, of course. <laughs> That's uh, a challenge. <laughs> I disagree. And, and it's like, uh, I mean, part of it is, is that I don't want to. Um, right. But, but the other thing is, is, is that I kind of feel like, no, no, there's a way. But the thing is, is what they're doing so often and what they did on that project, or at least what, what I saw was that, um, people wanted to have landscaping and then they wanted to call it permaculture. And so they already kind of had some ideas of what they wanted. And then they just wanted to, to force all of this permaculture stuff to fit inside their understanding of landscaping. And, um, 
I kind of felt like um, uh, I, I don't mind hearing what they have to say and the, their hopes and dreams and wishes, but I kind of feel like, okay, now I want to put a big fence up around it so you can't see what I'm doing. Give me, um, you know, a big bale of money, and then I'm going to do my thing, and when I'm done, then you can look at it, you know, and then there you go. That's it's a permaculture thing. Or or it's even plausible to be able to put something on on paper, which they can then say, oh, this is terrible, and then it's like, fine, bye. You know, I, I feel like you're commissioning an artist. And and the thing is, when you commission an artist, you don't say, okay, artist, here's here's 27 people who each have a different idea what art is, and and now you are the servant of these 27 people. Ready, go. I mean, it's like uh, that's just that's disastrous. You'll you know. So I I feel like art, much like most innovation, um, is is going to be done by an independent visionary and and is going to create their vision in in seed and soil. And, and granted, in the Helena project, my vision was very different from everybody else there, which is totally acceptable. You know, different artisans and all that. And here at the Beacon Food Forest, Beacon Hill Food Forest, um, there's, there's other visions here. Now granted, there's a really beautiful thing here, and that is that I'm seeing things that I've not thought of before, and I wish to steal those ideas and call them my <laughs> own if I can get away with it. Well, but by making this podcast, I guess I'm thwarting my own effort in that space. <laughs> I think in your defense, you've always had a vision of multiple permaculture artisans having their own space to create their vision in seed and soil, but then sharing with each other and helping improve and and expand on their vision in seed and soil. So you've you've... I think always had that vision of getting better from more interaction and more sharing with other people. And that's a lot of what the forums are about, obviously. Information exchange. Yeah. And And you just get better and better. I think, I think in an area like Seattle, um, or most urban areas where real estate is crazy expensive, the only way you could do a multi-acre food forest, unless you were independently wealthy yourself, would be in a community situation. So I think a lot of people who would love, love, love to have acres like this to work on a massive food forest, you know, they can't afford it themselves. So it's wonderful for them to join in on this scale of a project. So it's a, the full plan is for seven acres. Right now, they have Paul's guesstimating about an acre and a half yeah. um, planted out and and and, and started. Um, and I swear, the biggest plants right now are these massive lupins. Those are as big as some of the small trees they they've started with. Right, right. <laughs> so now something's happening. Oh, there are people over there. It looks like there might be a class coming through or something. Okay. Which I do think is going to be like. The, a great value of this. I, I wonder if, like, 10 years from now, if this is going to be one of the things that people will visit here. Although, I gotta say that the, one of the things that was originally kind of making it difficult for us to see this was the, uh, the lack of parking. Huh. <laughs> it's like, uh, I think we may have taken one of three parking spots. Um, and I'm not even sure it was a real parking spot. We, we might want to keep an eye on our stuff in case we get towed. Well, uh, a lot of people in Seattle, the buses are pretty good in Seattle itself. Not nearly as good as New York City or some place like that. But if you're in Seattle itself, the buses are pretty good. 
Um, and, and in fact, where we were staying, they had bus schedules for us to look at. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Cool. Um, I got a list. Yeah. All right. So the first thing on my list is these. Um, I mean, when, when you've got something and you want to be able, I, I think if you're going to plant something and you want to respect the things that are planting there and then, uh, so that when people show up and then they are standing there looking at stuff and they're kind of going, Ooh, oh, what's that all about? Then, um, it's good to have like some sort of signage or something, something so you know what this plant is, what its story is, things of that nature. And then, um... Uh, there's lots of different ways of going about doing that. This is the first time I've seen this particular technique, and I'd never even thought of it. I and I think it's amazing. What they've done is that they've they've had somebody with um, some ceramics who made tiles, and then they um, embedded images and wording on a tile. And then, of course, you know, like a ceramic mug, it's a ceramic tile, and uh, once it's all fired and baked, and they can set it out, and then then the words will be there forever and you can continue to read it forever. And they're they're colorful and artistically done and in at least four languages. Oh yeah, there's all these other languages around the edges um, uh, which is amazing. Uh, I never th- I, th- I think it's very cool. I mean, and then clearly, you know, somebody had some passion to to do this. Um, which is cool. And and I don't know, maybe they'll do uh, I mean, there's got to be like a half dozen here now. Maybe by the time that the whole thing is done, there'll be like, you know, several dozen. Right, right. Uh, you know, each talking about different aspects of permaculture. I've also noticed that I don't, I've, I think I've read all of them. I don't remember any of them saying the word permaculture. I mean, they say f- food forest, and the one we're st- sitting in front of them says forest. But, um,. Uh, I, I think that that's kind of an interesting thing. Although I did see one thing where it talked about how this, this all started from a PDC, which I thought was really cool. Right. Um, so it's like, of course, during a PDC, you have to do a design. And when I did my PDC in 2005, somebody was in Olympia and, or lived in Olympia and they, they had this like, uh, little parking lot and they wanted to transform the parking lot. So that was, that was their design. So, I think it's fun to think that some people are at a PDC and they're like, hey, let's transform this property out of Beacon Hill. Um, you know, it's just sitting there not doing anything and I'm just, you know, lusting and fantasizing over it. And uh, what do you say? Let's try that. So, um, uh, and then here it is. And, it's, and it got on the national and international news. Um, and now it's gotten hundreds of thousands of dollars in funding. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. Um, it does talk more about permaculture on their website, which is, um, let me just double check, make sure I get this right. Beaconfoodforest.org is the website. Yes. Beacon, beacon, B-E-A-C-O-N, foodforest.org. And it does talk about permaculture in there, but it doesn't mention permies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's to be expected. Okay. I, I, you know, there's a lot of permaculture folks that, that think I am something awful because, you know, they love that the holding the hands and singing songs and, and, uh, vow of poverty and whatever else. So I'm, <laughs> I'm the bad guy and that's all right. Well, I'm, I'm okay being the bad guy, but you know, I used to live, um, near Beacon Avenue when I was in the fifth grade. Ah. So for like, I don't know, four or five months or so. Yeah. And so um, it's kind of weird driving around here, seeing some stuff from when I was in the fifth grade. Yeah. 
Well, while you made notes, I was taking multiple pictures, so I'll try to post some of these pictures in the um, thread about this podcast once it goes up. So there's um, a lot of stuff getting started here. Um, you can kind of tell where there will be forest here someday and where the paths for the forest will be. Um, yeah, they, they've done lots of um, sheep mulching. Lots and lots of sheep mulching. And I've seen pictures of their work parties where there's lots of cardboard, lots of wood chips. Um, and you see the wood chips now. You don't see any of the cardboard underneath right now. And and everything is um, pretty well tidy and mulched. And, and you can tell where the paths are either by burlap sacks in some areas or outlined by branches in other areas. So um, they've done a lot to delineate, okay, walk here, don't walk there. I, I can't remember if I've ever said anything about my concerns about wood chips. I mean, wood chips, there's, there is a lot of um, upsides to wood chips. And, and, you know, you do that thick mulch like you do at um, uh, Norris and Tulsi's place in Portland, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where they did it several feet thick, and then it, you know, eventually shrinks down and it becomes soil underneath and everything. and. And that is that is an amazing and fantastic thing, and that, that's a benefit. There is something that I'd be concerned about, though, and that is persistent herbicides. And right. um, trees do take up persistent herbicides, and it stunts their growth and makes them sad, but it doesn't kill them. And then, um, so now, you know, so there's that's my, my primary concern. And then, of course, a lot of times the wood chips that people are trying to get rid of are going to contain allelopathic things like cedars yeah. and stuff. And so, but I, I don't know, looking at the wood chips that are around here, I think that this is going to be dominantly hardwood species, um, probably from urban lots. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm thinking it's probably a higher quality wood chip than, than normal. Hopefully not too many persistent herbicides. It looks, I imagine they might have done a lot of um, mycelium inoculation too. One of their big signs, which unfor- unfortunately isn't tile, but it is a nice sign, um, is about the soil food web, and they talked a lot about um, mycelium and slowing the water and, and, and creating a healthy soil food web. Um, and I took, you know, we could see lots of um, mushrooms sprouting in the wood chips. Oh, yes. Um, lots and lots. And then they have a little mushroom log thing in a little shade house going on here, too. But... Um, loads of mushrooms so i'm wondering how much they inoculated in different areas um to get that soil food web started now um i think the thing that was the most the thing i spotted first off and and this is the same thing from helena is um now granted they've terraced this side right here where we're sitting it's it's been terraced a bit i would have gone with bigger terraces but um you know terraces this is this is this is okay this is this is a adding a texture of a kind and this is in the in the cooler regions terraces beat swales in my opinion um but i i would have wanted to add more texture and and i i'm kind of surprised we're not seeing um if not hugel culture then at least something you know of that ilk like either berms or or something i would I mean, um, we started to talk a little bit about, okay, what would I do if I were the only person in charge here, which of course would never happen. But, <laughs> but what if, you know, Mr. Rogers land of make believe? Um, and I think that, um, I would have a few berms. Um, and in between berms, I would probably have a lot of hugel culture and I would probably, um, add bigger, like wider terraces. 
So then the steep bits between the terraces would be bigger also, but the flat spots would be bigger. And then I would try to have um, curving berms and curving um, uh, uh, culture beds and, and have them take on curving, interesting, non-symmetrical shapes, maybe artistic shapes, but with frost alleys where there's a place for any cold air to find its way down to that road down there. Yeah, so it's a west, did you say it's a west-facing slope? And and the upper slope, the upper part of the slope is where it's terraced more. And these are incredibly straight terraces because they're for the pea patch blocks that you rent. Look at that, you, look at those kids right down there. Yeah. What's the number one thing that they want to do right now? <laughs> Climb on the wood chip pile. Climb on the wood chip pile. <laughs> they want to play on. Yeah, here you go. Play I, on. I, Earthworks. This is where you need a big fucking berm, you know. And, and the, yeah, down where the kids are um, is is more of a natural food forest area with the with all the you know organic curvy paths and things like that. But they didn't really terrace it; they just left the slope, keeping going down. And and they might have terraced slightly just for a path to make a flatter path. But the, yeah, there's not much there, and I think you were saying if you had wider terraces, it would help with more southern and solar gain. Well, yeah, and and so I mean the other thing is, is that since you're blocking the sunrise already, look, they're rolling down the hillside over there too, the grassy hill. Yeah, their kids. I think these these kids they look maybe even junior high age, but man, they're rolling down the hill. Yeah, I was gonna say probably sixth grade. Okay, yeah, maybe. Yeah, 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 and so. Um, Rolling down the hill, physically interacting with what with what they're finding, yeah, um, and and not the stuff that's been designed. I mean, look at you know, there's all this stuff that's been put out there for them to learn about, and most of them are bored to death by that, and <laughs> more interested in the wood chip pile and the um, the slope um, to roll on and tumble on and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so they have massively mulched uh, to smother the grass here because this is very, very old uh, park grass. Yeah. <laughs> and and this part is the first phase and it will be continuing north where the kids are rolling down the hillside and they'll be eventually replacing th- that thick, thick grass with more um, food forest stuff is the plan. So... Uh, Next thing on my list is urbanite. Mm-hmm. Lots of urbanite. In order to build their terraces, they're using... And this is, of course, urbanite is going to be broken up bits of concrete. Like, somebody's like, oh, my sidewalk is all cracked and destroyed. I have to re- take it out and put it in a new sidewalk. And so then they rip out the sidewalk and they break it up into chunks. And um, now it's urbanite. Mm-hmm. And then um, rather than taking it to the dump, people will, will reuse it for different things, usually horticultural projects. And they're using a lot of it here. Um now, you know, of course, anywhere where you see urbanites, so like we look down there and we'll see a sidewalk and there's grass clearly growing right up next to the sidewalk. So obviously the grass doesn't mind that cement. Um, I've always, I remember something when I was like 15 and I heard my dad say, uh, um, growies don't like cement. Hmm. And, and so it's always stuck in my head. I, and, and I've read in a couple of other books, like when building ponds, try not to use cement stuff because it does impact the, the water living creatures there. It, it does something to the water to make the water 
less optimal. And, um, and so there's, there's a lot there that I don't fully understand. And I think I've expressed this before and there's been people that have gone out to Permies and made it really clear why, why cement sucks. And then of course there's some people like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. You know, and it's, it's like, well, I think there's different, different grades of fine, you know. Um, if, if you've got a strong sense of apathy, then yeah, it's just fine. (laughs) And then, uh, but if you care about like, well, why are these plants like, why is that guy's plant, you know, 20% larger than my plant? And it's like this, you know, now we're talking about the kinds of things that could make a difference. Well, that's another of your differences. You'd rather not use, um, cardboard in your sheet mulching you'd rather not use just arborist um wood chips unless you know they've come from an organic location you know you'd you'd rather not use urbanite if you can use natural stone and this first rimming of this community area here is natural stone not urbanite which is really pretty and then uh but yeah uh, look at these uh pea patch raised beds they're all urbanite but there are some even higher raised um, pea patch beds in the upper, the topmost terrace, and um, it's untreated wood, which is very cool. We we no we don't we don't work here. We're just visiting, just visiting. looking around, just the same as I guess you guys are, right? Okay, we're back from that um, little sidetrack. Uh, so um, the the group of kids that came through had a couple teachers, and they wanted to know if we were like involved with this group that made this and could like you know give them a tour, I guess. And um, you know we told them we don't know. <laughs> and the cool thing is they're doing a sustainability week and visiting farms and locations and living buildings and things like that all week long. And this was one of their stops, so yeah. they were interested to hear about Paul's website and and stuff so uh, they they talked about a building nearby that um is beyond platinum lead that just opened up like a year ago um they call it the i think the bullet the bullet center in seattle and um it's it's going for the living building designation which means it it creates and takes care of its own energy needs and in order for it to collect and use its own water um, the legalities are challenging, and they said it needs to become its own water district. So, interesting. That was, yeah. It's like one, once again, you know, uh, innovation is impeded by uh, legality. Um, I remember my, my uncle um, tried to, because, like, where where I uh, spent some time growing up with my granddad, then there's a river that ran out back. And um, it was on my uncle's property, and... And it turns out that the river used to meander through the area, um, but then that like uh, hurt real estate sales or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they did was is they cut a big channel through the ground, and apparently this I think this is the Army Corps of Engineers right. to straighten out the river so that way um, uh, there's you know more farmland, less less river they land. They did that in a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. and and so then. Um, which destroyed a lot of habitat for a lot of different animals, uh, and, and made spawning more difficult. Yeah. Uh, and so my uncle decided that he wanted to, uh, for the part where the river would go through his land, that he would put it back the way it was. So they found out where the river used to run. Yeah. And he wanted to put it back. And, um, apparently, 
Uh, and it wasn't even that much. It was like he added one meander that went maybe um, 400 feet away from where it used to be. Just one little meander. And it sounds like it cost something like $3 million just in the legal stuff to be able to do that. Um, uh, and it, and it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> now granted, it's, it's a river and it does make sense. You shouldn't just be out there fooling with a river whenever you feel like it kind of a thing. But, but seriously, $3 million. And, and, but I, I kind and the other thing is, is like, it's your own building. You should be able to do whatever the hell you want. But no, it's like, uh, no, we, we need to, we need to know that you're meeting these criteria. And yeah, it, it sounded very complicated. Yes. All right. So. Uh, moving right along, back to our analysis of the, uh, the the Beacon Hill food forest, which before I forget, I want to say that um, I, I, you know, and granted, while I would do so many things so very differently, that that I do see this. I mean, I, I see the art evolving here, and I see what they're doing, and I'm I got to say that um, uh, it's it's mildly interesting to see now after just a little over a year, really. Yeah. Um, but I, I can also see how in four or five years, this is going to be spectacular. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's some examples of gilding. There's definitely examples of mycelium and nitrogen fixers. And there's definitely, um, you know, a lot of different reuse and repurpose and, and, and lots of really good permaculture design elements. Um, and it's in such a, a pleasing design and so well maintained and not, you know, and, and, and aesthetically lovely and the signage is lovely and stuff that I think it's a really good introduction to permaculture that'll, that'll entice people instead of turn them off. Um, I even took pictures of their boneyard. You know, they have cinder blocks, they have um, potting you know, potting materials, mulching materials, wheelbarrows, extra stakes and stuff. And they have it all piled up neatly, kind of in the very, very far corner behind their tool shed. And so they've, they've done a lot of really uh, smart management and aesthetically pleasing and artistic things. And, and we, those might be on your list too, to go through. But I think we keep calling it the Beacon Hill Food Forest, which is what I keep calling it. Because the neighborhood is Beacon Hill, but but their name that they chose is Beacon Food Forest. Oh, yeah, my mistake. Yeah, I um, keep making the same mistake. So now I'm looking around at signs to to try and counter. But no, you're right. I see Beacon Food Forest. Beacon Food Forest. I okay, know. fine then. It's the Beacon <laughs> Food Forest. Fine. But you're, I you're I could right see... about it being sixth grade kids though. Uh, that's right. They were sixth. Uh, yep, I'm brilliant. And they had two eighth graders with them. But oh, okay. Yeah. So, so misleading. We were both. All that's right. right, fine. <laughs> I I could see that um, there there can get to be a point in time where the amount of food that comes out because they were they were worried like oh well what if people just wander off the street and start taking the food stealing the food and and it's like I think that they're going to get to a point where they're going to at some point be pumping out so much food that there's going to be some concern over pests like raccoons will just you know <laughs> the raccoons might be a little much to deal with um 
But uh, I, 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 on the other hand, I think it really drives home the point of like, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to them having that much food, and and it drives home the point of how much food you can grow in an urban area in just a few acres. Yeah. So um, now I, my next note that I have is like, okay, they got the bees stuff over there, so they've got a little fence around the bees, okay. so that way the bees can come and go without somebody standing in the way and trying to stick their face into the slot where the bees are and the bees right. are going to be like i'm gonna you know we, we vote no to you standing <laughs> right. Right, right there right. and we have our special way of voting no right right <laughs> and um we have so guard bees that's their job that's their job is to tell you no <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so to discourage you from putting your face there Right. Uh, and, and so then they've got it kind of fenced off. So, you know, in theory, people are less likely to get stung. Um, and so they've got, you know, your typical woven wire kind of stuff. This, this two inch by four inch galvanized welded wire. And, uh, the cool thing is, however, somebody has taken a bunch of twigs and branches and shaped it artistically and done fun things. Right. So, so what would be kind of a plain, simple, humble, kind of ugly little fence, they made it a place for art. And so the way they place the branches is to look how the... They didn't have really cool branches all on their own, but they cut them of different sizes and shapes to place them so it looks like how a tree would grow on the side. And on the other side, they made it in the shape of a big heart. And they just did cool artistic stuff with it. It's awesome. I Yeah, somebody's having fun. And... And I think, I think that, uh, I, that's, that's the number one thing I hope that they facilitate to the end. Cause like they get the little birdhouse down there. Yeah. Somebody, somebody went all arty on that. And Lots of driftwood, really amazing little shapes of stuff all around the birdhouse. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that if, if, if they're going to do just one thing or if, like what's the most important, I, I would have to say, to to encourage more of that is like whenever somebody starts off with hey you know what would be cool is like uh um you know what can you do to facilitate that i i hope that at wheaton laboratories we do a lot of that you know somebody starts off with hey you know what would be cool and then you know it's like okay well let's 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 see let's see that happen yeah we're still dealing with so much infrastructure and just you know trying to get structures for people to live in that we haven't gotten to the hey this would be beautiful or hey this would be cool just yet they do well we've done like with the teepee with emily and tony they've got they do whatever they want with the teepee and then um well we facilitated the building of the berm and then they've been planting they've been done a bunch of stuff with that 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 i never yeah but knew that they were going to do and they've been having a good time with it yeah now this spring last fall when they moved in it froze before we were able to do the (laughs) finished plaster even on the cob so the cob wasn't even very pretty yet you know so we're we're getting there there's a bird perching on the mason bee uh little setup they have which is kind of cool too right um uh so they it was it's kind of this odd hybrid of the wood blocks that you should never do. But then what they've done is they've stuck straws, like the paper straws, into the holes of the wood blocks. And then I guess you could um, pull the straws out when they might be getting funky. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, something like that. Uh, and they've got chicken wire over the front of it to keep woodpeckers or squirrels or other, you know, 
spitters out from eating the poor little mason bees mm-hmm. as they slumber. Yeah, which is smart. That's really smart. Yeah. So, um, I the next item I've got on my list is that you know what I you know I seem to say this for every public works project is is kind of like you know what I'd like to see them do because in Seattle the temperature will get down to as low as ten degrees. Is I would like to see them put in a lemon tree site. I mean, you know, a little bit of microclimate, it should be pretty easy here um, to be able to grow a lemon tree. And and then, um, so rather than having something here where it's like there's food and uh, there's, you know, um, gardens, um, like uh, uh, community gardens, um, you know, uh, it's like what could, it, what could happen here to make it truly massive and epic? Um, and, and I think the thing is, is that most gardeners in the Seattle area would not even consider that they could grow a lemon tree outdoors. And so then there could be a demonstration of that. Um, I, I think that that would be magnificent as well as being able to demonstrate growing red tomatoes. Right. Um, right. which is a lot of people who are gardeners in Seattle, I've never grown uh, a tomato that was fully and completely red. Um, Speaking of gardening in Seattle, while you're checking your notes, um, there's loads and loads of wood chip mulch um, around the more food forest plantings. And and then there are the pea patch gardens. And then also right here around the community area, there's in the terrace kind of around it, there's all of these um, mixed annuals and perennials planted around here and it looks like they've used commercial compost or topsoil or things like that and and so the pea patch most of the pea patch areas in this area here with the perennials and annuals there's no mulch you see bare soil between the plants and and of course the plants are just starting and and they'll probably create more of a closed canopy once they get larger but um i remembered that Toby Hemingway actually understood this a lot from living in the Portland and Oregon areas, that sometimes it's difficult to have mulches in this climate because they can create mildew, they create habitat for slugs, which will just decimate your food, and um, and and the soil doesn't take so long to warm up here with the cloud cover that sometimes you want that mulch off just to let the soil warm up to keep the slugs at bay and and to keep the mildew down and um so it's 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 weird to me because i think in montana we want to mulch 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 mulch. (laughs) well it's the same story here as it is in montana when it comes to mulch i mean there's upsides and downsides to mulch yeah. Um, but I think that universally the up, uh, the upsides outweigh the downsides. And then of course each mulch has a different story. And, and I mean, I, I, I think that, um, uh, it's true. It's, it's, it's like if you want to be really intimately involved in your system and your garden, your zone one garden, then, um, by all means pull back the mulch, um, in the early part of the year to let the sun warm the soil. Then, put the mulch back on usually around summer solstice then you put the mulch back on to hold that warmth in and then of course protect the soil um i'm i'm an advocate of like i want to be even lazier that sounds like work work to me 
So like I want to put the mulch in um, in, the, in the beginning and then kind of you, good luck. You're on your own. Um, I hope that the plants that grow here make more mulch for you through the year because I sure as hell won't be back <laughs> um, except to harvest. Right. And, um, and another thing is, is that it's like if you're growing these patches for food are so tiny then I could see it being um, something where you're going to meticulously, you know... Manicure every little bit of it. Yeah. yeah. Whereas what I'd rather do is have one person with several acres, and then it's like, good luck, plants, you're on your own. Yeah, we got enough potatoes, we got enough of this, we got enough of that. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, that plant over there is not doing so good, who gives a shit? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, because uh, uh, there's plenty more over there. And as opposed to like when you've got such a tiny, tiny, tiny patch. Yeah, I'm just looking behind you there at um, not at the plane going overhead again, but at the um, even though they manicured it, I mean you don't see a speck of weed between their very intentional plantings. They have let quite a few things overwinter in the pea patches and in the community areas, and they've let things go to flower. There's some brassicas that overwintered and are flowering now. Um, which is awesome. And we've seen lots of bees, bumblebees, honeybees, lots of birds, lots of things happening. So, um, I, I've got another, the next note I have on here is that it's been a long time since I feel like I've had an allergic reaction to anything. And I'm not much of an allergy guy, but boy, there have been a couple of times where I've been someplace and it's like my nose has an on off faucet and somehow it got mysteriously turned to on. And, um, it's like, you know, burning through a roll of toilet paper, a couple of rolls a day, maybe. And, um, and boy, there've been a couple of times today where it's like, I don't know what happened, but suddenly here it comes and it's, it's that allergy kind of thing. So there's something in the Seattle area, which is, uh, triggering some sort of allergic reaction on and off for me. Well, I, I'm having the reverse. Uh, I'm much happier here than we, we stayed in a hotel one night last week and and in that hotel um you know you could just smell the cleansers in the bathroom and and the perfumes in the sheets from whatever they washed and fabrics off and things with you could and then everything was fluorescent lights in the hotel i haven't had a migraine in at least a year i think and i ended up with a migraine it could have been a perfect storm of multiple factors, but being in a hotel room with the chemical crapola and then being, because I had a reaction somewhere else where the, the perfumes in the bedding was just so strong, I felt like I was getting an allergic reaction until I washed my pillowcase and then I felt better. So getting the migraine after being in a hotel with fluorescent lights and chemical shitstorm, and then I specifically chose this Airbnb place because these people are into foraging, they're into organics, they're into local food. Rock and, climbing, and, boy. And fermenting. Yeah, rock climbing, yeah. They're, I think I think the, uh, the the place we're staying is decorated in rock climbing fixtures. It is. It's a barn, and they've created <laughs> rock climbing walls in there. And they said, yeah, you guys could do that. But in the bathroom, you know, the sheets don't stink like chemicals. Um, in the bathroom, there's only organic, unscented bath products, which you and I don't even use because we're no no poo. But I mean, I'm not getting a reaction here because that I think that's a huge upside to Airbnb is you can find a place that kind of might 
have your values. And and they have a great little um, clearly labeled garbage system there, too. Like, you know, this actually ends up going to a landfill that gets shipped to Oregon, to a landfill yeah. in Oregon. This is recycling and this is compost. It's very clearly labeled. That was cool, too. Yeah, that was pretty wild. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, so I, I, I like doing the Airbnb thing and I liked when we went to San Diego, that was, what do they call that one? VRBO? Oh, right. The vacation rental by owner. Okay. VRBO. Yeah. And, um, uh, That's much wh- better because like we went to the SEP thing a little while ago. Um, and, and so, yeah, I got, I got, I think the podcast that we recorded, we mentioned this before, it doesn't go out for several more weeks because it's waiting for, um, that movie to come out. Right. Um, but, uh, so, so Sep gave me an award. It says the Duke on it. <laughs> and, uh, but, but when That's we were awesome. there, we stayed there one night and they set us up with a place to stay and it was just a hotel room and it was like, wow, this is such a standard hotel room. And I was kind of thinking maybe we should have tried to find an Airbnb there nearby there and go there instead. But we were, you know, unlike everybody else who was there for the full five day thing, we were just there for half a day. Yeah. Because yeah. we were summoned. Yeah, and, that was nice. You gave got, a nice talk and answered questions of people. And then we had dinner with Zepp, which was awesome. And he gave me an award. Yes. A large award. Very large. Hmm. Um, okay, back to this site. Here we are at the, at the Beacon Food Forest. And we were, looking, we were talking about the mason bees. And while we're standing there looking at it, I'm saying, well, you know, I know with mason bees, a good thing to provide. And, you know, granted, they're brand new and they probably just barely got this up and they're moving on to 87,000 other projects here. But, of course, a good thing to provide. And I'm I just... Oh, bless you. Ah, I'm just kind of thinking that uh, one, one of the things that I've seen by people who do a really good job with mason bees is to provide water and to provide mud. Right. Because, of course... They're mason bees, so they need to do the mason thing, which is to take globs of clay and um, uh, protect the the uh, next year's mason bees, uh, their their children. So, um, and and then of course when we talk to Dave Hunter about it, then there's always um, like, oh, let's provide lots of different varieties of clay and whatnot. And so I'm kind of looking around like, where's the water? Well, we found it, um, and and sure enough, they've got a little kind of wetland thing set up, which I think. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very important, I'm wondering why they don't have like a little sign down there. It's like, here's our little wetland. If they've got a little sign, I haven't found it yet. Here's our little, here's our little wetland and it's providing lots of edge. This is a little, uh, long, skinny wetland, not a swale so much as maybe a ditch. ditch yeah. Um, but definitely packed full of cattails and moisture. And, and so this is where the mason bees will come to get their mud and their water. Horsetails, yeah. That uh, you can tell this has been huh. a water-containing ditch for Horse a tails. long time. Horsetails and cattails. <laughs> <laughs> Probably yeah. some monkey tails and uh, some elephant tails. And, uh, um, but yeah, the well-established cattails and horsetails. You can tell that's been a very moist area for some time. I I think that. They're creating this. Not only is it going to end up being a template for cities all over the world, 
because I know that I've been approached several times like, oh, I live in this town and we want to build a food forest like they're doing in Seattle. And, uh, you know, can you help us with the design? And it's like, you know, can you, can you post it at Permies? <laughs> so, um, I, I think that, that, uh, uh, these, these guys have a jetpack. I mean, you know, uh, and they need, they gotta have it. In order to be able to do something like this in a city, then, uh, there's going to be a mountain, uh, of red tape to go through and regulation. Even though Seattle's going to be more open to it than other cities. Yeah. And by other cities, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say on average, uh, like Portland might be even more open to it. Missoula would probably, you know, whereas like, uh, um, I would imagine that Missoula would, would, uh, push one forward even more than Seattle would. But, um, but anyway, it's still going to be hard and somebody's got to, you know, make that run. And then I kind of feel like they've got a good start. It's just been a little over a year and it's a good start. And it's like, um, it doesn't look like much right now, but, but, um, you know, a little imagine, it doesn't take very much imagination to see five years into the future of, of just what they've planted. Like if they do nothing else. And they, they go away five years into the future. This will be magnificent. In fact, there's um, a place, I think it's like around 103rd Street here in Seattle on the northern side, um, where apparently somebody snuck onto a piece of city property and started planting fruit trees like crazy. Mm. And um, so there's all these fruit trees growing there that uh, you know are not exactly native plants. And nobody from the Parks Department certainly plant, planted them. So um they they found out who it was and it was and the guy is now dead but um you know his legacy lives on. Awesome. Um, gorilla gardening. Yeah, gorilla gardening, man. So this is this is going to be epic. Yeah. This is going to be even if they don't plant a lemon tree here, which is what I I think that they should do. Even if even if you can still hear all the traffic and the sound, they don't put berms and hugel culture in. Even if all those things this will still be epic. Yeah. I, I think people are really excited about it. Um, from the pictures I've seen of their work parties, it looks like they have loads of volunteers and loads of people supporting this. Um, and they've had so much good press. The one other note I had from uh, the photos I was taking is um, we were reviewing uh, a different thing, and you said they have no, no brush piles. And... And then we saw a pile of woody bits here, and you thought, oh, that's a brush pile. And I said, you know what? I actually think they're using those branches as um, stakes, as outlining paths, as yeah. their artistic stuff. They had a big pile of wood debris that I think is they're just going to be using it, not leaving it as a brush pile. But, you know, speaking of, we don't have a brush pile at base camp yet. We don't. We're just now planting our, well, seeds have been planted a few weeks ago and we're seeing those things come up. But, um, we're just getting started in that. Um, <clears throat> I mean, whereas here at the, I mean, first of all, they bought this, uh, September 2012 or not bought, they got started September right. 2012. That's when they did their, um, ground making, ground making. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so that would mean that they might start doing some of their earthworks or they might plant a few things and stuff like that. Then the following spring, they could do more earthworks, more planting. Whereas we showed up, um, I mean, like, I got my boxes moved into that house 
uh, the early part of June. You got moved in the late part of June. Um, I think it was, so right around, I think we were finally, you know, ready to move forward around the end of June. And, um, and it was an unseasonably hot June. It wasn't a good time to plant. So uh, um, we didn't, and, and instead of planting things, we focused on infrastructure and um, getting the first Wafati in, getting the pooper up on the laboratory, things yeah. of that nature. And so here, Picking I mean, up garbage. they don't have anybody yeah. living on this piece of land. So I guess I'm, I'm seeking for cheap excuses why we haven't gotten as far as they've got. <laughs> we've, had, we've had different priorities, um, less volunteers. and Our winter might be a little harder than their winter here. You think? <laughs> yeah. I imagine they can still work the land all year long. Here. They wanted to build a hugelkultur bed in January. They could probably do it. I think they had work parties all through the winter here. Uh, I'm on their mailing list, so I've kind of been watching a little bit of what they have going on through their mailing list. Uh, because I lived not far from here, and I kept meaning to come visit it when I lived in the area before I moved out to Montana. And uh, didn't visit it till now. Now, one of the things about brush piles, I think um, earlier there was a little bit of discussion about slugs. Here they've got so many. I mean, in the Seattle area, it's, it's like a, it's kind of part, something that people say is, is like you can't grow a garden unless you find a way to deal with the slugs. And I think having lots and lots of brush piles are just the ticket. Um, and, and as with many things, it's like you might want to do a variety of things. But lots of brush piles are going to be a thing that's going to help. And then the little bit of mud they have down there, that little wet spot, it's going to help with mud daubers. And it's going to bring them in. They're going to help control um, a, a lot of uh, insect problems. But um, my understanding is that when you have brush piles, there's a beetle that lives in the brush pile that thinks that slug eggs are the best candy in the world. And it, it apparently does amazing things to reduce your overall slug population. And, and snakes. Garter and then, snakes. And then too. garter snakes would be a great one. Now, of course, it freaks the hell out of kids, but hey, this is nature at work, man. And, um, uh, and I, I pl- Oh, we caught garter snakes as kids around in this area. Growing up in the Seattle area, that was one of our favorite pets. We were always catching garter snakes. So, I, I think, I think, uh, brush piles, brush piles, brush piles, lots and lots of brush piles. And then, of course, there's going to be a lot of other things you could do too. Rock piles. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's stuff. I'm, I'm at the, uh, I think that's the end of my list. Oh, yard art is the last thing on my list. I just kind of feel like when you break things up into sections and people have some idea of ownership of a piece, and it's their personal piece, then um, they can start to express their vision in art in a variety of different ways. And um, whether it's going to be the birdhouse-like thing that we see over there, or um, some of the other bits and bobs of art that are starting to sprout up here. <clears throat> Most of the little pea patch sections, people are using bamboo poles or um, organic-shaped branches for their trellising for their peas and beans, and 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 a lot of that's pretty artistic. I'm I'm enjoying that here. Something rather keyhole-esque seems to be the rule of the day um, for the the private patches. And each person um, paves their path in a different way yeah. with a different form of art, which I think makes it far more beautiful. Yeah, it's it's very fun, very nice. So um, I'm I'm excited to see uh, how this evolves. 
and I, I look forward to coming back here in a few years and and uh, seeing what it looks like then. And uh, for having only been here a little over a year, I think they're doing amazing stuff. And granted, while I wish to command them to 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 uh, realize my artistic vision, I I, I, I respect. That if I want to see my artistic vision anywhere, I have to do it myself. <laughs> right. And you are. I mean, boy, do we have some massive hoogles started in a lot of places. Oh, right. Massive, 12 foot tall. Well, that, and... that's kind of like on the backside of Berm and on the front side, hoogly. Yeah. And, um, but, but still, that's what I, we dreamt up for started. that site. Getting um, started. I, you know what might be kind of fun to do here is, um, because it never really gets terribly hot in Seattle, but it can get a little warm. What if they made an intentional frost pocket? <laughs> then then you could go down into the frost pocket and go, wow, feel how cold it is. You know, here it is a warm day, you know, not a hot day. It might be if it's if it's eighty eight in Seattle, that's brutally hot because it's so humid here. Right. And, um, but if it's 88 and it's hot, it's 88. And then, and then you go down into a frost pocket. It's like, wow, that just got really cool really fast. <laughs> and I think that'll help to drive home the point of like, yeah. And just imagine what it does in the winter. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There could be lots of fun stuff like that. So good tour. Good visit today. If you like this sort of thing, Come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about food forests, homesteading, and permaculture all, all the, the time. time.